Hey, Dad. <laughs> Hello, Rai. How, How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great today. We've got a good uh, guest today, so I'm happy. We certainly do. We have a very special guest on the show. It's actually our first guest, so we're really, really excited. And Dad, would you mind giving an intro since you know our guest well? Yes. Well, I just want to introduce my good friend, Jerry Hamlin. Jerry and I have known each other probably over 30 years, and we've worked together uh, initially when he was the detective in charge of the juvenile division of Long Branch Police Department. And then when he retired in 1992, I believe, John Kay and I made a special uh, effort to get him to come to the prosecutor's office. And he became head of the special projects unit in the prosecutor's office and did uh, an amazing job building relationships in the community training police officers. We actually formed a team, Jerry, Lou Jordan, and myself, went around the entire state of New Jersey, and uh, we're well recognized as being uh, one of the finer teaching groups uh, for cultural diversity, bias, crime, and so it's my great pleasure to have Jerry here as our first guest. Jerry, why don't you just... uh, Tell us a little bit about where you grew up, how you got connected to Monmouth County, and what made you decide to become a police officer? Well, I would start with growing up in Florence, South Carolina. I was born December 21st, 1938. Uh-oh, how old does that make you? 81. Oh, boy, you look great. I'm, I'm happy to be 81. I'm happy, I'm happy you're here, too. Yes, and I was born in a home I was delivered by the midwife. And when I was big enough, about six or seven years old, she told my mother that I would grow up to be someone who would be very smart and would do some great things. I didn't know at the time that that was the truth, but I feel that she was kind of accurate. Definitely accurate. (laughs) Without question. And the big thing that I got from growing up in Florence, South Carolina, During segregation, I had a walk probably to my first elementary school, probably about a mile, mile and a half. Couldn't ride the school buses because of not living a long enough distance from the elementary school that was located in East Florence. I grew up in South Florence. And I attend, if I could have, I could have attended all my schools if they were integrated within a radius of two blocks. Because I could walk from my house to the high school and right a block from there was the middle school and elementary school. And my first school in Florence was home school. It was located in East Florence. So just imagine I'm walking from South Florence to East Florence. Mm-hmm. And then when I went to the middle school or junior high school I had to walk from South Florence to North Florence and then when I got into high school high school was even further than it was originally and I had to walk maybe about three four miles you know you were a pretty good athlete down in South Carolina all, all state running back or something? I, I, if they had all state, I, sh- I would have been all state. Right. But I enjoyed football because it was the camaraderie between me and my classmates. Right. 
And one of the things that I would share as not just being a football player, but I had a principal, Gerard Anderson, who told me, because I had missed a class or something, and he sat me down in his office and he said, Mr. Hamlin, I don't care how many touchdowns you score, but if you don't do the work in the classrooms, you won't be playing. Mm -hmm. And I heard him loud and clear and when I graduated from high school, I was the president of the National Honor Society. Right. So I do believe education is a great tool. And if you listen, I had great teachers, even though it was segregated. I had great black men and women who was my teachers. And they stress how important education was and that at no time we should not do our best and prepare ourselves for the future. In Florence, South Carolina at the time, as a young man growing up, you had experiences with the Klan. Yes, there. I did. Some of the Klan members ran businesses on the same street that I lived on. I lived on South Irby Street, which are many of people traveling from New York and going south to Florida or Georgia went right through my hometown and right down the street that I was located on. Those persons that I identify as Ku Klux Klans is that I witnessed them working and running businesses and I knew their cause. At a certain time, it was like a parade. The Ku Klux Klans drove down South Irby Street in the daytime where you could see them. There was no doubt that they were the Ku Klux Klans because they had on all of the regalia. I call it the dunce cap and also the white sheets. And they had, at that time, they wore the mask mm -hmm. that now is kind of prohibited. And yeah, I witnessed that. And I even witnessed it even closer after I was coming from a girlfriend's house in West Florence. I live in South Florence. And it was about maybe three and a half miles from where I lived. And I'm coming down Coit Street, which was a little west of where I live. And I saw the Ku Klux Klans, and they started to chase. Mm. But thanks to my athletic ability, I outrun the Ku Klux Klans. I'd scared to death, but I was able to make it back to my home without getting lynched, potentially, by the persons who were the Ku Klux Klans at that time. Wow. So, so then, you know, living down there and experiencing, mm -hmm. you know, obviously the firsthand, the mm -hmm. biases and prejudices, yes. uh, spent a lot of time up here in, in Long Branch, right? Yes, that was the great relief. Mm -hmm. My mother and myself, we would get a ride with another relative to come visit my older sister and my brother-in-law. And originally, the first time we came to visit, they were living on a street that doesn't exist now in Long Branch. It was Mill Street. A predominantly black people was on that street. And if you have any kind of idea for maybe seeing some of the Southern movies, like something that was taking place in Mississippi, some of those places on Mill Street looked very similar. The kinds of houses that were built, 
They were segregated. It was a it was a dirt road right off of Broadway, mm-hmm. you know, in Long Branch. And you're talking about a drive from Florence, South Carolina, to Long Branch was well over 600 and some miles, and we could only drive 50 miles an hour if, in fact, the traffic was moving. And it would sometimes take as long as 20 hours to come from Florence to Long Branch, New Jersey. So with those visits, uh, Mm -hmm. ultimately you made a decision that you're going to make New Jersey your home, right? Yes, yes. Fell in love with Long Branch. I loved the people, loved the new folks that I was able to meet, a lot of young guys and young ladies, lots of families. And your wife? Yes. She kind of found me, you know, and she was good friends to my nieces and nephews, and I didn't know her at first, and she made her business to find out for my niece who I was, and I guess she found out I was the uncle to all my nieces. I had about four nieces and two nephews that were there, and it was a fun time. We, we did a lot of good stuff together, and her parents were strict, and I made it my business to introduce myself to Kathy's mother and father, and he's the one that pushed for me to become a cop. Mm-hmm. And I tell him, no, I don't want to be a cop. Uh, you know, people are terrible. And, and so when was that? When was that that you, you know, were... Uh, push to become a cop. When did you actually become a police officer? February 13, 1967. I left my original job at Marlboro State Hospital where I was a psychiatric technician and I had been there approximately eight years doing that job, which was a great job because it was a tough position but it gave you a greater understanding what happens to different people as a result of different types of mental illnesses. And it was very, very good that I had experienced that because when I went into law enforcement, I was so much further ahead of regular policemen who may have been in the same class that I was in and had no clue about people who were mentally ill. I remember state troopers brought a person who was having a psychiatric episode, out of control. And I was working in reception, so I had to take the patient from the state police. And they wanted me to go and get a lot of help, because this guy was terrible. He's not going to, you're not going to be able to take this guy alone. So I said, okay, let me talk to him. You're going to talk to him? I said, yeah. And I spoke to this patient who was mentally ill, and I told him what I was about to do. He's going to get a shower, he's going to get new clothing, and if he needed medication, he would also get that. And we would be able to help him. And when the state police seen him walk with me, and I had no cuffs, I had no baton or nothing that would say, oh, this guy might do something to me, and I wasn't afraid of him. And I took him to the next floor where he received the kinds of things that I told him he would receive. And the troopers couldn't understand how he gave them so much trouble and he came with me. Mm -hmm. I said, well, the difference is 
communications. Mm. They found out very quickly, just taking your time, explaining to the patient, don't think because this person is mentally ill, they don't always understand what you're doing to them. Because if you do something negative, they also remember that. Mm -hmm. And that translates into into what you do as a police officer. It it translates today what we are seeing as a result of a lot of people, not just mentally ill patients, but people who are seeing, trying to figure out why is this happening. And some police officers don't take time out to express to this person, this is why I'm doing A, B, and C, and then go from there. And you find out a lot of times it is so much easier when that person realize you're not going to physically attack them, you're not going to beat them up, and you try to understand how to develop positive communication skills. And that's the thing that's missing a lot of times. So when you decided to become a police officer, it sounded like you had some reservations. And yes. I think that probably comes from growing up in the South and seeing how police treat Definitely. the black community. Yes. So what was what were your reservations there? The reservations were, it wasn't just black people, it was people who were traveling, because I lived on a highly traveled highway. It was white people, for whatever reason, there were some police officers, municipal police officers, who took it out on people simply because they didn't like the Yankees, the Northerners coming down, and they'd find a reason to aggravate. And I seen some even physically assault those persons. And it made me think that's a job I never wanted to be a part of, you know. And there was state police also travel that highway and they did some things that I thought was inappropriate and scary. And I try to keep my distance because I didn't want to be a part of getting hit with a billy club, nightstick, whatever. And I would watch and observe when there were people of color who just happened to be standing in the wrong place and all kinds of profanities and threats of physical force was said to these people, and they knew if you don't move, you might be sorry. So with those reservations, did you decide that, hey, listen, if I do become a police officer, think the way I'm going to operate is a little bit differently? That's a good point. I always knew. My father-in-law, Wilbur Ray, he's got a scholarship named after him out at Brookdale. That was my father-in-law. Who stressed? Jerome, you need to be a policeman then you can do some things. You can do different from what you observe. You be the better guy for doing the right thing. And I learned an awful lot from my father-in-law. He was, he was a people person. He was a guy that wanted to help the people of his community. And he did a lot of things to help the community. He was a great guy in his church. He was a great guy in the community. If people needed things and he could help them, he did it. And I thought that was pretty good as a leader, and he was one of the early leaders in the community. But so, I you, so, you, so you followed his advice? Yes. You went to the police academy? Where'd you go, to state police academy? <laughs> I, it was funny. Yes, I did. It was 
February 13, 1967. So I left Marlboro State February 12, 1967, and on the 13th, I'm standing in formation down at Seagirt. <laughs> and just imagine, February is a little chilly. A little chilly. Oh, and and you're outside, and the, the ocean is right near right. where the academy yes. is. And it was a lot of fun. It was tough. And you got to meet a lot of people. And on the day that we got there, you also seen some of the people that came with us, all of a sudden they were no longer there. There was some problem with their background checks mm -hmm. that did not meet the standards of the state police and they were sent back home mm -hmm. or back to the police departments where they came from. Which it, is probably a good thing. It was a good thing. Right. You know, because they were doing what I think we need to be doing today. We don't take a close enough look at the people that we're hiring. We don't sit down as much and as deep as we should. I know some people will say in law enforcement, oh, yes, we do. We do a really good job of interviewing, but sometimes we may have the wrong person conducting the interview. Mm. We don't see a whole lot of communication skills being taught. We don't see a whole lot of cultural diversity being taught that's most important because if we look around the average city, there's so many people who've made their way into this country that need the assistance and need the help. I'm not a person who say, well, you came from this island or that place. We don't want you here. We need everybody here because we got people who've been here for a long time who speak the many different languages that would help benefit what we're trying to accomplish. So what are certain things that you did as a police officer to, to change that? Well, the first thing I did was I knew if I'm going to be a police officer, I want to be the person who can get the children early. And I was very fortunate when I was hired, I immediately in Long Branch became the head of the juvenile division. And I had to do some things to maybe bring it up to the 20th century in that there was a lot of things that were there, but the system, how it was set up, was not set up appropriately that we could do the kinds of things that have kids become positive rather than negative. And I was a firm believer that in order to get the message across, I need to know everything about laws pertaining to juveniles. I need to know all about community, which I did, and how important it is to know the various people within that given city or state, wherever you're working. You need to know the leadership within that community, not just the governmental officials, but all the people. And it benefited me quite a bit when it came to problem solving. And I always say because the guy, once I went to the prosecutor's office, made it very clear, if we want to make a difference, we got to touch flesh. And that came from your father, Bob Honecker, the first assistant. I always kid him, I said, in the next opening, he should be the prosecutor. You know, he, he, he's got the foundation, and it's true that would benefit all these people in Monmouth County, in the state of New Jersey, and outside the state. Because he has had the experience of being 
every step that we took, he was shoulder to shoulder with us. It wasn't go do this or go do that without taking an active role himself. And he got to know a whole lot of people and leaderships that knew he was the kind of person, if you needed something special, along with John Kay, these are the two people you want to talk with. Well, I think, Joe, I probably I first uh, noticed you when you were at the juvenile mm -hmm. division in Long Branch. Yes. And I saw your style mm -hmm. dealing with the young people, mm -hmm. and there did not seem, I mean, you knew you had to do your job, mm -hmm. and that if someone needed to be taken into custody, but you also knew that if you reached out to the young people, knew them, knew their families, yes. that not only could hopefully you'll make a difference in their lives, mm -hmm. but it would help you as a police yes. officer. Yes. I enjoy going into the schools each and every day. Now there's a lot of police officers only go if they think there's something special you have to go for. I didn't wait for them to call me. I made it my business, I would touch base with all the schools, from elementary to middle school to high school and anybody else that might be around, and talk to them about the role of the police officer and what young students should be preparing for and how to interact if a police officer come up and ask you some questions. Don't run. I don't ever want you to run from the police. If the police say, come here, I want to speak with you, go to them, be respectful. And the police should be the same way. And together you can solve many different problems. But it's easy if you lay a foundation ahead of time. Mm -hmm. If you do the things that I tell you in the police academy, learning two people every day, that's both students parents, grandparents, whomever, but I want you to learn. Introduce yourself and let those kids and their parents and grandparents and other relatives know why you're doing what you're doing. And it will help you in the long run. But if you're just a statute and you never interact and you never speak, you never say who you are and everything else, then you'll have a tough time being a police officer. Mm -hmm. So. After your you know, great career at, at Long Branch, uh, and you were there from what, 1967 to 1992? Yes. It, 35 years? Or was 25. It? 25 years. Yes. 25 years. And then you came up to the prosecutor's yeah. office. Yeah. And, and uh, you, were, you were actually being sought after by a couple of different uh, yes. agencies, weren't yes. you? General? Yes. Yes. The Attorney General's office asked. Uh, even before you guys were there, when there was another prosecutor, they had asked if I would come up and work for them. And I said, well, no, I want to stay in Long Branch. I like working for the people there. But it was something special about you guys. You were people persons. John Kay, yourself, kind people. You made it very easy to want to be there. And I'm sure you got tons of applications of trying to get, get to the prosecutor's office. I just felt that I was lucky that, hey, I met two fine guys through the work I was doing, and I guess they figured I had some skills that might benefit the prosecutor's office, and I enjoyed every bit of it. Like, what was the work that you did at the prosecutor's office for somebody? I mean, my dad knows, but I'm not really. A... 
like you say, it's special projects. Now you say, what the heck is special projects? It is things that help bridge the gap between our office and local municipal offices. So now if I'm director of special projects, then I should be talking to people in the community. How can we help you? What can we do to make things better between your police department, our office, and anything else that need to be done? This is why it was so important to understand the role that local schools played. Even the colleges. We didn't just do it for the local schools and and other things that we went to colleges that were close by. Brookdale, we spent a lot of time there. We had a lot of workshops that we did at Brookdale. We did those things that were very important in order to achieve success in the law enforcement agencies. If you were isolated and you didn't know who was in that community or you didn't know who was operating the government, a lot of people didn't know who the prosecutor was, who the first assistant, who the other people that worked there. There's a lot of cops never knew, well, you got to go to the grand jury. What's that? Where is it at? Now, these are people that was on the police department for years. And you ask them, do you have to go to the prosecutor's office? Where is that? What? Now, Jerry, what, what floor is that on? never ever went there because they didn't want to investigate crimes. They just want to lock somebody up and give it to somebody else. How long were, how long were you up in the prosecutor's office? For, from 92 to when? I think close to about 15 or 15 something. years? Yeah, yeah. Well, they, were, they were some pretty good 15 yeah. years. I enjoyed it. Yeah, we did. I mean, I think not only that, but we interacted. We created yes. the Human Relations Commission. Outstanding. You know, the bias crime unit, cultural yes. diversity. Yes, but see what you did with that, you didn't just set a tone in Monmouth County, you were well known throughout the state of New Jersey and outside the state of New Jersey because the word got around. If you need help and you need good information, speak to Bob Honecker or John Kay because they have good stuff and they don't mind sharing it. Yeah, you guys went all over the place, right? Now, Jerry, us Jerry you're just blowing up his head. So, <laughs> well, no, no. Listen, I believe you. You, you, you got. I okay, love Jerry, it. that's why we brought you as our first guest. Listen, here's why I. You said blowing up his head. I love it because he made things easy. And I say today, and I say it right now. He should be the prosecutor, the next one up there. I just want to tell you this, Jer. What we did, John and I, mm -hmm. is we looked for the best people. Yes, you did. And mm -hmm. when we looked at you, not to blow your head up, but when we had you and then added Louis, mm -hmm. you know, we yeah. got some really good people yes. working for the yeah. prosecutor's office. Yeah. And we really, and you're right, set the tone out there that... We were going to be all-inclusive, and yes. we were going to be out there for everybody. Yep. So, okay, so now you've been retired. How long now? Probably about 10 years 10 years or more. now. And you see what's going on in the country. Jared. Yes, yes. You see, you know, the unrest by a great number of uh, members of our society. Yes. 
black, white, mm-hmm. Hispanic, Asian, mm-hmm. you name it, across the yeah. board with yeah. police sure. and their activities. And obviously, mm-hmm. you know, the actions of these uh, some of these police officers out there are uh, violations of their yeah. trust it's with horrific. the people. Yeah, yes, yes. But here's something that we have to do with the people also coming from community. You can never justify breaking into someone's store, stealing someone's property, simply because of what you think is my opportunity to get even. You can't. You go to jail. Yeah, we've seen that before. Yes. All of us have seen that before, and it's not really the answer. So with all of this going on, There is, you know, a lot of calls to not only defund the police, but mm-hmm. just abolish the police. Right. And I'm curious what you think about that and, and what do you think needs to happen? I think, again, when we can educate each, each other mm-hmm. and show the difference between having and not having. Do you want chaos or do you want structure? Do you want people working together for the betterment of all people, then that's what we have to do. If you say, okay, we're gonna get rid of the police, okay, what you gonna replace it with? And I know some people say, well, we could have a community service squad. Well, how are you gonna train them? What will you do for weapons? What kind of person will you get to be a part of that group? How will you do the kind of research to see whether or not that would work? I don't think it would work in the long run. I think what we need to do collectively, we gotta sit down. We have to discuss where we are and where we wanna be. And we need each other. And yes, some people say, get rid of the cops. And there's a good number of good cops. But what I need from good cops is to speak up. Don't allow bad cops to tarnish the badge for all cops. Let's look at the training. What do we need to improve to make better community relations? So what do we do about police officers that are currently officers, probably been officers for several years, that are not good cops, that are bad people? Then we have to remove them. Yeah. Like, See, how do we, do, I want to do that. I want to take a brush. I want to get out all the knots. Right, like, get right, rid of those right. horrible people. Well, you have to have something in place. You know, it's like we had, when you went to the police academy, there was a process. Then there was a kind of program that you had to live up to or you don't graduate. Because we had all kinds of subjects that we had to do. And you had to pass them. But if for any reason you didn't pass, that was reason to let you go. Police departments can do similar things. You have a requirement of certain amount of structure as to how we operate this agency. If for any reason we see you receiving demerits because you're not living up to it, then you have some foundation to say on this date, Second time, I had to instruct you about how you went about doing a police report, how you went about effectuating that arrest. Did you see that you could have done this differently? Why didn't you call for assistance 
so that you didn't have to get so physical with this person. See, you have to set the rules and regulations in order to be successful and go forward. I think if we had those kinds of things inclusive to how we want to train the police officers, we'd have a better police department. Yeah, and I think, you know, some of these cops that have, you know, done these horrible, horrible things have Mm -hmm. had records. Yes, they did. They all had records. And it's like, why are they still there? (laughs) Because somebody knows somebody and they kind of, well, you know, we got a family. We don't want to get rid of them now. Well, hey. How many times are you going to let that person keep keep creating problems for the agency? Mm-hmm. There needs to be a higher standard to be a police officer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We need to see that when somebody has counts against them like that, yeah. then you're, you can't be a police officer. Right. Well, that's, well, they did some things one time where in order to be a policeman, you got to go to college. you got to graduate college. And we want more than an associate degree. But you got to remember, we get people with associate degree college degree, master's degree, even a doctorate, and they end up being terrible. It doesn't make you a good person, no, you know? No. You have to be you, a good person with a good heart and a good head on your shoulders. You have to be sensitive to the needs of the people you work for. Never forget, you work for the people. The people don't work for you. You represent the city or the state or the nation. You can't go crazy because you think, well, I'm a cop, I got the power. If I want to hit you over the head with a nightstick, I'll hit you. And there are some people like that. And then there's some great people who will go in and say, well, wait a minute. And they know how to calm a situation that's out of control. They just see something about to explode and they walk up and say, well, gee, I better get this before it blow up. Mm-hmm. And go over and you get the kids. Mm-hmm. This is where if you know kids, when they see you coming, they know, oh, oh that's Detective Hamlin. You better, you know, don't do that because he's a nice guy. <laughs> this is what I said before. It. I want to clone you. And I want to put you in every single police department in the country. Because clearly, we like, Jerry, you're, you're so knowledgeable about this. And... You you walk the walk and you talk the talk and right. you've clearly made change yeah. in yeah. communities here in New Jersey. So um, listen, at eighty one, mm-hmm. listen, you're still full of wisdom. Well, you're you're still to be. you're still full of knowledge and you're mm-hmm. still looking great. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, <laughs> I'm, I'm telling I, you right now. Listen. So he was he has been our great first guest, hasn't he, Ryan? Yeah, yeah. he really yeah. has been. Well, so Thank one you. thing I want to know is, I mean, mm-hmm. I think you know a lot of people say that we have made progress. A lot of people say that over the years when it comes mm-hmm. to race and racism and everything. Do you think that we've made progress? If we look back to where you're talking about where the progress has begun, if you look back and say, Jerome, from 1958 to the day, did we make any progress? Heck yeah. Look where I'm sitting. Mm-hmm. Look who I work for and with. I didn't think that when I was leaving Florence, South Carolina, that I would be in the company of Bob Hunter, John Kay, the governor, the president, all the people close by. I said, man, this little guy from Florence, South Carolina, you're standing with some pretty special people who think you have something special to offer. And I think we need people to recognize. It's been troubling at times. It's been terrible at times, but we also have been real good at times. 
And it's because of having good leadership when, and that's why I say, Bob, got to talk to the people to be ready for the prosecutor's position. And I tell people, if Bob get in there, I'd be glad to come out of retirement. <laughs> well, but so we've made progress, but yes. we've still got a long way to yes. go. No, and I think you make a good point where you say it's a team. Like yeah, We're all a team. Yes. We are all a team in this thing called life. I believe in it. <laughs> and, I believe in it. And uh, Jerry, I really want to thank you again for coming on to the Family Crime Cast, our first guest, and uh, it's been a pleasure talking with Listen, you today. It's been great to be here with you. And again, I, I can't say enough about my good buddy next to you. Your father's a great guy. He's got the person. Again, with blowing up his head, Jerry. Yes, no, no. <laughs> he, he's got the personality to make a difference. I think it's clear that something needs to change in this world and America when it comes to policing, but also when it comes to how we treat each other. That's the most important. If you learned anything from Jerry, let it be that we are a team in this world. We're one team no matter what. I love you, Ryan. I love you too, Dad. <laughs>